Hello, this is Beyond the Bell with WASTA, Wisconsin's hub for professional development for anyone working in out-of-school time programs and youth-serving organizations. It's our mission to help you provide the highest quality care to children and their families. If you wish you had an extra tool going into programming to help guide behaviors in a productive way, wish you knew more about how to provide the whole family with support, or you want to enhance your own well-being, then this is the home for you. We know what it's like to feel like you never have enough time or resources to meet everyone's needs, and we're here to support you through the challenges. Stay tuned as we explore new ideas and strategies that you can use right away. I'm Rachel Sharon, health educator with Marshfield Clinic Health System Center for Community Health Advancement and Wisconsin Out of School Time Alliance. We're excited you're listening today to our conversation with licensed family therapist Tiffany Kula. Tiffany is a licensed marriage and family therapist who's been working with kids and families for over 20 years. She works with families, couples, and individuals to help them find healthier and effective ways to communicate and build trust and empathy amongst their family members. She's joining us today to talk about how to use kids as resources. Welcome, Tiffany. Rachel, thanks for having me. So whether we're talking about the tiniest 4Kers or a group of mature teens, kids are attuned to one another and they make observations or have information that we simply don't put together sometimes or just don't have. When mental health needs are so high and kids show up to our out-of-school time programs struggling, it's not a leap to see that kids as peers to one another could be one of our greatest assets in kind of assessing how individuals or groups are doing. And often in order to leverage this information, we might need to think about our comments or the comments that kids make and the information they give us in different ways than we have before. So as a therapist and an out-of-school time professional, what's one way younger kids might help cue us into worries with their peers or their friends? So one way younger kids might clue us into worries with other peers is through they might initiate it by tattling or storytelling from the school day. Instead of dismissing these accounts, it's really important to approach them with an open mind and recognize that this could be a very valuable piece of information about a peer's well-being. So some of the things that we should be looking at is just paying attention to patterns that happen. Again, if we repeatedly hear over and over again the same kid, the same stories, then maybe we really need to know what's really going on, that, that maybe that period is really struggling. Looking change in behaviors such as mood swings, withdrawing from activities, noticing there's a shift in social interactions with other peers, listening to the emotional cues of what that child's expressing or their concerns for that other peer's well-being. Sometimes observing the nonverbal cues too, even the way they play with each other um, or the interactions they play. Young kids definitely display more subtle signs of concerns and distress when discussing a peer's behavior, such as facial expressions, body language, or even the tone of voice that they say it, right? I think encouraging empathy and sympathy, fostering that just so that they know that they can come to you, fostering that open communication as well, creating a safe and non-judgmental space so they can share regards when they, they notice something about a peer. We're back to establishing that trusted adult, right? It's so important that they feel like they can trust you with information they're going to share. And I think training staff and other people to continue to do active listening. It's really important to the kids, whether it takes them 20 minutes to get that first phrase out, that you are listening attentively just like you would if they told you 20 sentences. Kids need to feel like you have time for them and that you're going to respond and, and even ask follow-up questions to what they shared. 
Yeah, I think what you're talking about here is really just a reframe of how you view your observations or the information that kids share. And it, luckily, with young kids, like they're typically pretty honest. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you how it mm-hmm. is. And as you were talking, I was thinking about a couple kids that I know that came to after school and blurted out a story from the school day mm-hmm. and how we could have assessed that to be like, oh, that's just kind of gossip or mm-hmm. they're just, you know. But it ended up being so valuable because we were able to support them mm-hmm. because they were dysregulated after seeing a certain event and we were also able to support the kids that that was happening with directly in a different way and so that information was so invaluable of course there's a whole other layer when we're talking teens Mm -hmm. so what information might teens have that could be helpful in kind of navigating worries for kids i think peer pressure and social dynamics is a huge thing with them because firsthand they know what peer pressure feels like they know how the impacts of relationships is on their worries their social emotional well-being they they definitely they definitely understand it and you know sometimes they have the academic stresses that come with that right and so making sure that they are are supported in any which way, you know, whether it is tutoring or whether it is having them reach out to the school, teachers, emails, whatever you need to do to help them with that. I think it's hard. You know, there's much more, I feel more stressors are put on to teens these days than ever before to perform and to be at their best. So being able to help foster a healthy work balance life too, right? Some of them work and some of them are taking care of younger siblings, being able to be there for them. So also looking at bullying and conflict resolutions, many teens have encountered some bullying at some point in time or witnessed it as a peer. So they definitely give insight because they know the types of bullying and the impact that it has on children's worries. Sometimes when we worked at the after school program, I would have them do presentations. So like we would do a bullying presentation and I would have them kind of be the panel and talk about it, what they experienced, what they seen, what were some strategies they did, right? So the underclassmen, so whether it be the 11th graders, the 10th graders, they would talk to the 7th and 6th graders. So they were able to kind of help foster that and and be there and give some conflict resolution. And it was a safe place for them to explore those things. Another topic we did was technology and on, and safety online. You know, many times people just want to be on the internet, right? And they don't understand what all comes with it. And so some of the teens were able to express the why the safety is so important, not just hear from the parents or from the adults that were in programming, but Teens can definitely help younger kids understand things because they've been through it. I I did day treatment for a while too as well. And many times we had peer-led groups because peers want to hear from other peers, right? So even with mental health and and self-care, they want to hear from other kids how they've um, maybe handled the situation or how they took care of themselves, strategies and so forth. So those seem to be really helpful in regards to being kind of the little experts for themselves, you know, long as an adults are kind of supervising and making sure that they're giving good advice, right? But their personal experiences is what resonates with teens to share with the younger kids, kind of like where they've been and, and maybe the heads up, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's kind of a really good segue into my next question here because you've talked a lot about how kids can just help us provide the information, mm-hmm. but you're getting into this other idea of how the whole group can help provide support too. So how can we use kids like the whole group to help support an individual and not necessarily obviously telling them that's mm-hmm. what we're doing, mm-hmm. but being strategic that mm-hmm. way and kind of using the group to help everybody out. So many times when I do group work or did the after school programming, I would have the older teens be the facilitators. And so I would talk with them. We'd, we kind of a game plan what we might do for that day. So we 
if you're going to do a mindfulness activity, they would come up with the different mindful breathing exercises or body scanning, whatever that looked like, and they would lead it. And so all the younger kids are look up to those older kids. So they would be like, so engaged, like, yes, you know, this is great. And then eventually the younger kids started to get older and they wanted to do it because it was like kind of a rite of passage, right? So a lot of mindfulness and breathing exercises, I think is a really good thing for a group activity. Group discussions, like, you know, especially with some of those harder conversations about tragic things that are going on in the world and they don't know what to deal with or who to talk to. We might have a group that was that was all of a sudden assembled because the teens were talking about it so much and having an adult be part of that facilitation as well. A lot of team building activities is really good in regards to encouraging collaboration, empathy, and understanding of the entire group. So learning patience, right? And kind of fostering positive relationships, especially when a lot of some of these kids have gone to school with with each other. And then sometimes you have a new kid that comes in. So the team building activity, kind of bringing them together, working on one goal um, and accomplishing it and being excited about that. In the past, we've done like buddy systems. So like a peer mentoring. So they were paired up with somebody. They were able to kind of like kind of be a big brother to them. Unfortunately, Big Brother, Big Sister is a great pro- is a great program. Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of people that are able to provide for those kids. So sometimes the older kids mentoring some of the younger kids was some things we did. So it was really nice. Yeah. And just, you know, again, it just helps collaborating with those problem solving skills and really just being that support system for everybody. Yeah. You know, the a whole group can benefit. So I really appreciate how all the examples you gave us highlight how you can really have one kid in mind mm-hmm. that you're worried about or you're wanting to intervene or welcome into a group, but how it simultaneously benefits the whole group. And so it has this like mutual benefit to include the whole group. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not telling them our strategy, right. like we're not kind of giving them that, but that's the intention and it can benefit everybody and bring everyone together. So what about those situations when kids really are worried about a peer? Like how do we encourage them to come to us? Because we don't want all of that falling onto a young person's shoulders and handling that all themselves. So encouraging kids to come when they're worried about peer, it definitely requires a safe place, right? We've kind of been talking about that and trusting an environment for them to feel comfortable about those concerns and to be able to share them. I think some strategies to open communication is, again, being able to foster those non-judgmental atmospheres, right? So kids can come in and be reassured that their concerns are taken seriously and that it's private and respected. Building those strong relationships is so important in programming so they know that you are showing genuine care and that you're building trust and rapport with them so they can, they're more likely to approach you when they're having concerns about peers. Teaching empathy and compassion, you know, again, encouraging them to put themselves in a peer's shoes and consider how they would feel in those situations. And cultivating empathy is important when children are more likely to recognize when a peer is in need or seek out for those help, right? educating about responsible reporting. I know that was a huge thing. Someone come to me and they're like, oh, so-and-so is going to, I feel like they're going to hurt themselves or I saw that they had cuts on them on their arms. I don't know what to do. And then they're like, okay, that's it. You know, and so encouraging them to be able to warrant intervention. So we'd have the conversation, okay, I'm sorry that you experienced that, taking care of them and figuring out what they need and then going to be able to address the situation with the person that they were reporting on. And empower them be, uh, to be standby and empower them to speak up when they witness things or uh, some kind of distress that's important in life, even as adults, right? And just, you know, again, regular discussions and concerns, dedicating your time to regular discussions. I know that 
sometimes I would check in with a person weekly or every every other day, depends on what was going on with the situation. So they knew that just because we talked about one time, it just didn't go away, right? It's like following up like, hey, how's everything been going? I think that's really helpful too. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're talking about is owning your role. Mm -hmm. So if you want to encourage kids to come to you if they have concerns about peers, it's knowing what you're going to do about it. And obviously, we're not trained like crisis interventionists Mm -hmm. or therapists or anything, Mm -hmm. but knowing what our policy is in our program, like if there's a real concern, I know what I'm going to do to help Mm -hmm. both these kids involved because I have one kid who is directly being impacted, another who's observing it, and I'm going to have to know what my course of action is going to be. So going to your own leadership or advocating that those procedures are put in place too so that you have that support. So on that note, these are tough situations. Like we're supporting a lot of kids with a lot of needs. Who might we go to for support if we need assistance either in solving the problem or just to get ourselves some support? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is if you need assistance in addressing these worries or concerns uh, regarding children in the program, there's several individuals or resources. You know, the biggest thing is supervisor or program director. I think that's the first thing to do because they're there to support you, give guidance, and they, they're they they're willing to work with you in regards to addressing those those situations and face it head on. That's their role, right? Colleagues and coworkers, I think it's so crucial, especially when you've been in the field for a long time, to lean on each other because who better to know than people that are that are working next to you, right? When I worked at the after school program, our biggest thing is at nighttime after the kids are gone, we brief for a little bit and just kind of talked about what we saw, how did things go, what is something we might change for the next day. I'm just kind of being there for each other, but then at the same time having that support. Sometimes it is overwhelming when we're taking care of all these little ones and and all their their stuff that's going on with them. And sometimes we got to take care of ourselves. So maybe even seeking mental health professionals for ourselves, right? We talked about self-harm or suicide ideation. So it might be you know, obviously with your program and whatever the policy and procedures is, is contacting CPS in regards to what was shared or something that you saw. I think another part too is parent and guardian involvement. I know that was a huge thing too, that we really appreciated. Parents came and picked their kids up every night. So we were able to kind of take them aside and say, hey, you know, we noticed this or hey, they're doing great. And to tell them to keep up the good work or is there anything that you guys need help with, right? Because sometimes parents become overwhelmed. So we were able to be a support system for them. And another thing too is there's other resources like 211, you know, support groups. There's hotlines out there for if you're struggling with something, but at the same time, if you know kids are struggling with things. And kind of like this podcast is, you know, professional development and training resources is a huge thing when we're looking for assistance of bettering ourselves in our career or to how to get help with kids. I think that's, those are resources I think are really good. And your program definitely has those on hand. So yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like maintenance things we can do. There's other supports we can reach out to, but the idea is we're never alone in managing these hard conversations. So that would be a cue that if you are feeling that way and you're feeling isolated, Mm -hmm. that those connections and that reaching out would Mm -hmm. be an important step for a staff member. Really important message today. Thank you for sharing with us, Tiffany. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening in. We hope you leave today with a few more tools in your toolbox. Be sure to visit our website and sign up for our emails where we share information about all of our upcoming professional development opportunities.